Okay, excited now to be joined in the studio uh, by Dr. Sean Lang. Good afternoon to you, Sean. Good afternoon, Lucy. Lovely to have you here. Right, so um, what we like to do on Thursdays is take a big look at some of the news stories out there this week. And you have got some really meaty topics here for us. We're talking Ukraine, we're talking Brexit and Labour, uh, nationalist conservatives, and then perhaps we'll lighten up just a little touch, even though it's actually a very serious story too. The, the, the meatiest of all, I reckon. Uh, it, it, it's definitely dominating a lot of the headlines yeah. out there. Uh, Harry and Meghan and the incident that happened in New York with them uh, on Monday. Was it Monday or Tuesday, Tuesday evening? Yeah, yeah. One of those. Um, so yes, uh, so let's dive into this right now. Shall we start uh, with Ukraine? Um, so it's been going on for over a year now. Yes, well over a year, because um, it started on February the 24th. Do you think, uh, do you think um, those in the world of, you know, politics and everything, would they have thought that this would have been going on for a year? No, because when it started, the widespread assumption, certainly in Russia, mm. but also across the West, was that it would be over very quickly, that Ukraine would collapse very quickly. And there were good reasons for thinking that, because the Russians had uh, fought a series of wars under Putin, um, where, although they'd started very ham-fistedly, but they'd got much, much better. Mm. And in fact, when in 2014, they attacked Ukraine because they took Crimea. Yeah. And that was over, you know, in a matter of days, I think, two casualties, something like that, you know. It was it was complete. It was uh, it was, and, and the, the other point was that the Ukrainian army just collapsed. Yeah. And what's happened since then is, has been that on the one hand the Ukrainians have learnt a lot of lessons from that. So mm. what's really striking here is how very imaginatively and and, and sort of what enterprise they've shown in um, fighting a much much bigger and on the face of it much stronger enemy. Um, and they've been very nimble, they've been very intelligent, they've sort of marshaled their forces struck, uh, at particular points rather than trying to sort of defend everything. And the Russians clearly thought that, that they were fighting the same thing in 2014 again. Yeah. And, and, the other, and as a result of that, um, there's been all this Western support for Ukraine, which of course makes a huge difference. And th- what's happened this week is that uh, the UK has taken the lead in, in saying that we'll supply these long-range missiles. Now, people have been hearing a lot about missiles of one sort or another and drones, and it can be a bit confusing. But basically, the Russians have always, I mean, not always, but certainly for a long time, have used um, missiles and artillery as their main war-winning weapon. Mm. Um, I mean, Kiev, for example, has, has just been having a huge number of, of rocket attacks. Yeah, they, that was um, ramped up this week. It was indeed, yeah. yeah. And the Russians have a long track record of doing this rather mm. um and um the ukrainians have been hitting back at their you know at the russian rocket launchers but the russians simply moved them further back out of range but now with these missiles from the uk and um i mean some of them are already there there are more of them coming um it means that the ukrainians can strike at these russian positions a long way behind the front line um and you know we all know that we're, we're building up to some sort of counter-offensive now in history, there have been times when people know that there's a big attack coming. Um, I mean, the best one that well known is, is D-Day <laughs> in the Second World War, yeah. um, when you know, everyone knew the inv- there was going to be an invasion. The Germans knew. I um, mean, people in Britain and America, all around the world, they knew it was coming. They just didn't know where and when. And um, you know, it, it might be sort of like a D-Day, but it's unlikely to be. But what we do know is that the Ukrainians are gearing up and preparing for a major attack on the Russian positions, and the Russians have been preparing for it and digging in. And um, 
you know, we don't know what form it will take. And so it's possible that it's actually, if it's going to be done in sort of little bits, lots of little bits rather yeah. than one big one, um, and there are arguments for either, that it's already started. We don't, we don't really know. Um, and that, of course, is part of the idea, to keep the Russians guessing. Mm-hmm. So... Um, yeah, you know, we're, we're certainly moving into uh, a big new phase of the war. It's gone a bit quiet for the last few months, but, uh, you know, as we get into the summer, um, we, we must expect that there'll be a lot of fighting and, of course, a lot of, uh, lot of people killed. Yeah. I, I was really struck, actually, um, by the fact... I was watching... Um, sounds flippant, but the Eurovision Song Contest no, on Saturday, all, no. and it suddenly hit me, like, while I was watching, at the very beginning, you know, this is Ukraine's... Eurovision, yeah. but they can't have it because yeah. they are at war and it is Europe. Yeah. It really had a really, just that well, moment of impact. Eurovision you know. is surprisingly important in the thing like this. I, I've never forgotten, Yugoslavia won it, it would have been sometime in the uh, late 80s I think just a year or so before the country fell apart. Mm. And the thing about Eurovision is <laughs> that it sort of symbolises the easily the best known example of that sort of post-war peaceful world um, you know, optimistic, putting yeah. sort of, all that sort of Second World War stuff behind mm, you, mm. a different sort of world now, pop music and young people all around the world. You know, all of that sort of optimism that, that you get. And it's beautifully symbolised in Eurovision. And um, so it's sort of, uh, it's not flippant at all, I think, the sort of contrast between that sense of togetherness, friendliness and all the rest of it, mm. and the reality. And of course, the hometown of Ukraine's uh, entry this year was being attacked by the Russians while they were on stage. Uh, and I've never forgotten something at uh, Hills Road Sixth Form College when I taught there. I did a, a, an event, a sort of residential thing with students from different parts of Europe. Um, it was the Council of Europe financed it. And there's something my, my students said to me, and it's really summed it all up. They, they said to me, um, Mr. Lang, there was Mr. Lang in those days, was it? <laughs> it was Mr. Lang. Um, they were talking to some of the students from Bulgaria, and they were really puzzled and troubled because they said they, they dress like us, they wear the same clothes, the same fashions, they listen to the same music as us, but their views are so different because they were sort of old style, nationalistic, um, you know, uh, sort of pride, the sort of thing, if you like, that Putin has been encouraging in, yeah. in, in Russia. But it's, you get it across a, a lot of countries in Eastern Europe. And that sort of contrast between the international culture of, of music and fashion and yet the political differences, which are still there under that, under yeah. that surface, if you like Eurovision, but the fighting underneath, yeah. um, was, was really quite troubling for them. But mm. I'm afraid that's, that's part of the reality. Well, that might be a place to stop right there. Fascinating. Thank you, Sean. We will now uh, take a look at the travel. Let's break there. Um, But after we come back, we're going to be tackling subjects like, well, it's that old B word, which do you think is just going to like, you know, is this like a generation now? Is it never going to go away? It will never go away. It's come back. Of course, we are talking about Brexit. Uh, let's, uh, I very much look forward to uh, speaking to you about that one. Right, travel coming up right now on Cambridge 105 Radio. Travel on Cambridge 105 Radio. Right, there is slow traffic on M11 travelling northbound. This is around Junction 11, A10, Cambridge Road, uh, travelling Cambridge South and Harston. Still slow traffic along A120 travelling eastbound from Stansted Road going up to M11 Junction 8 due to those roadworks in the area. Right here in town, starting to get busy now along the Fen Causeway. There is queuing traffic there in both directions at Trumpington Road. Up on Fenden 
road around the Addenbrooke's Hospital roundabout. Quite slow to clear through that at the moment too. And still that usual slow traffic on Gonville Place right here in the centre of Cambridge, taking you 10 minutes uh, to travel through there. That is your travel updates on Cambridge 105 Radio. Cambridge 105 Radio. Have you ever thought about volunteering here at Cambridge 105 Radio? I'm Lucy Malazzo, and five years ago, I did just that. I wanted to learn about radio and kind of thought I could help out behind the scenes. Since then, I've read the news, have woken up to a very early alarm for Cambridge breakfast and recorded promos like this one. Right now, Cambridge 105 Radio is looking for new volunteers to join the team. And if you fancy getting involved, visit cambridge105.co.uk slash volunteer. There's something for everyone at Cambridge's most exciting venue, the Town & Gown Pub & Theatre. Housed on Market Passage in the Old Art Cinema Building, the Town & Gown combines a pub experience with a theatre experience. We host the best of professional fringe, cabaret and comedy nights in our intimate 100-seater theatre. The up-close and personal kind of performances that create a truly unique experience. Our menu is contemporary British pub food, featuring pub classics and international twists on British comfort food. We offer casual dining in our main bar, formal dining in our dining areas and a pre-theatre dining package for theatre-goers. To check out our menus and programme of theatre and events, visit townandgown.co.uk or better still, just pop in and see us on Market Passage. Throughout the day, from the Cambridge News Desk, we never tire of bringing you, from the Cambridge News Desk, the day's news. At the Cambridge News Desk, national, local, opinion, debate, sport, weather, travel and entertainment. From the Cambridge News Desk, connecting the city and South Cambridgeshire, wherever you are. At the Cambridge News Desk, Cambridge 105 Radio. Cambridge 105 Radio. Well, I'll tell you what we're going to do this afternoon. Things just a little touch differently, actually, because I am really already massively enjoying our chat, Sean. Um, rather than a bit more music, mm-hmm. let's just talk a bit more about all of this um, crazy means. stuff that's going yes. on out there. So with that, let's leap right in. Uh, Labour and Brexit. Now, Keir Starmer... Um, he says uh, that we need to renegotiate that Brexit deal. So, <laughs> Do your heart sinks. <laughs> with that, Are we back that Brexit that issue, that it, it just hasn't gone anywhere, has it? It won't go away. It's coming yeah. back. Is it, is it now coming back front and centre? Well, I doubt if it's going back to you know, the Boris Johnson time. Um, this is really, as I see it, this is part of Keir Starmer getting ready for premiership mm. because you know, he's uh, fully expecting to be prime minister in what... A, year, maybe a little bit more, uh, certainly at the next election, whenever it might be. Interestingly, I saw a piece in The Telegraph, mm. you know, where, where you know, he's not doesn't have exactly, mm. doesn't exactly have fans, mm-hmm. but it was a piece there saying, look, get used to it, he's going to be Prime Minister, you know, Conservatives have got to sort of face up to that. So, okay. you know, we don't know. Anyway, the point is that from his point of view, he's got to act as if he's going to be. So, um, Brexit has is, is always been a really difficult one for Labour. She, Labour got it very, <laughs> very badly wrong at the time of the all, all the votes, because uh, I mean, essentially, um, Jeremy Corbyn, from a 
totally different direction, but he was part of the left-wing pro-Brexit, or at any rate, anti, anti-EU uh, yes, um, yes. Uh, sort of wave, which is why Labour was sort of rather hamstrung. So essentially what he's saying is... Um, to take, an, to take a cue from the Northern Ireland success in sort of sorting that uh, that out, to say, well, really what we need uh, is much better, much easier relations with the EU, much more generally in terms of trade, but also in terms of what I suppose you call mood music. Mm. Um, so from his point, you know, so what he doesn't want to do is to sort of reopen all the all the, the old sores, because if he did, then you'd be wanting to uh, try to go back in. Yeah. And, and, and that would be a vote loser. So uh, it's really about trying to reestablish, at least as I see it, it's, it's about trying to reestablish good relations, positive, uh, creative relations, particularly bearing in mind that you might need some uh, sort of European unity, um, bear, depending on what happens with the American elections next year as well. So... I think that's really what he's doing. He's sort of, however, of course, it will give the Conservatives something to sort of rally round uh, to say, aha, there you are. In fact, I saw there was a headline in one of the papers this morning said, you know, Starmus mask slips. <clears throat> in other words, aha, we always knew it. He was a, he's a Ramona. He wants to uh, he wants to reverse Brexit. So, I mean, that's the risk that he, he presumably knew he would have. To he's in quite a, um, he just seems, considering everyone says, oh, it's okay, he's going to win. There's yeah. no possible way that that's uh, not going to happen. It still feels like he's in a tricky yeah, uh, position. Yeah, um, it's, it's his to lose, um, yeah. and it can be done. But also, uh, I mean, it's a year to go. I mean, anything can happen, can happen in a year. In, yeah, absolutely. Um, you only have to ask Ukraine. <laughs> not going to yeah. happen in a year. And, um, I mean, what he's got, in a sense, is uh, he's up against a much more popular, much more tenuous, popular night it might not be the right word but certainly more positively viewed prime minister um yeah. generally than boris johnson boris johnson was very po- positively viewed by his supporters mm. but very negatively by by uh, others he's a very divisive figure mm. i don't think rishi sunak is a divisive figure uh, apart possibly from within his party but when you've got someone who people are basically accepting of it's much harder to to attack them particularly when in a sense you've got the two party leaders Keir Starmer and, and rishi sunak they even sort of, in terms of their style, they yeah. look quite similar. The hairstyle yeah. is quite similar. You can quite, you, know. you can see that they might have share a little cordial yeah. cup of tea yeah, together. Exactly. They're not, you know, you haven't got a lot of uh, water between them. I was yeah. going to say clear blue water, but that might be seen as taking political sides. You know, <laughs> um, so you've got to somehow <clears throat> set out your specific stall and start giving off the government messages, if you like, rather than opposition. I mean, they, they, yeah. there's this old thing that, you know, it's opposition is easy, you can sound off because you don't have to pay the bills. Um, but if you start to sound like a government in waiting, now Labour did that very successfully under Tony Blair before 97. Mm. In fact, the phrase was always, we're going to hit the ground running. Um, and John Smith had done <laughs> a, lo- a lot of good work in sort of presenting a very reliable uh, sort of image, the sort of person you would trust your money with. And that's, uh, and, and they've had to recover from the Corbyn years and uh, so I, I think this is all part of that basically saying in effect we are the, the grown-ups in the room and, yes. and that's really what he's got to do yeah give us boring politics we're desperate for it yes yeah yeah that was absolutely the feel what a year or so ago when uh, how long is it since we had Trump and Johnson yeah but you know gosh it's close to four do years. you think there's any chance of in the US that that might happen again well, you can't 
discount anything. Um, but if a year is a long time in British yeah. politics, it's a long time in American politics too. Uh, I have to say, I think most people would find um, American politics and indeed American law a little bit uh, bewildering because here's a man who uh, tried to overturn the, the you know the, the Capitol building, um, mm. who has got criminal charges, has been found guilty guilty of uh, of a sex assault, and yet they're still talking about him as if he's going to be the next Absolutely president. Bonkers, you know? isn't it? So, uh, um, and and also all these business trials that we were told would, would bring him down and land him in jail and all the rest of it. Nothing. Yeah. So it does make you wonder quite what what is happening. Yeah. However, um, I think much to well, there's much to play for. On the one hand, you might have Republicans saying, um, you know, this would be madness. So you know, can you can you put up a, a candidate? But I think more more mm. would be the Democrats because I I must admit my heart sank when I heard that uh, President Biden was going to stand again, simply in t- on, on terms of age. Um, I mean, he's 83. Yeah, 83, exactly. Um, so, you know, he's going to be within spitting his distance of 90 by the time he steps down, you know. so It just seems odd that they don't have a uh, stronger candidate in well, the wings. I'm sure they do. But... If this is the difference, of course, between American politics and British politics, where you know you have things like they have a shadow cabinet, you have a sort yes. of ring of people that from who and uh, leadership elections like that, and it's not like that in in the states. So, I would have thought from the if the Democrats were to put up um, a different sort of candidate, someone who you know, then everything is open again. Mm. But as things stand, it does look rather like a rerun. You don't it? think it's an ego thing, do you? Joe Biden would be, he'd consider oh, yeah, it a, fail, a failure just to do one term. Yeah, I, I'm do sure you? it is. Because, I mean, oh. it's not confined to him. I mean, all politicians have this, but this idea that only I can do it. Mm. And you see it... Um, Mrs. Thatcher most <laughs> down, you know, undoubtedly had it. Churchill had it towards the end. You know, people were desperate for him to step down. And with Joe Biden, I, although he's just got the one term, but he's been waiting for a very long time for his yeah. chance. Yeah. And um, and I suppose you get this idea that I, only I can sort of see off the, the you know the Trump monster or something like that. You know. So yeah, it, it's it tends to come with the territory. It's going to get ugly, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's getting ugly, ugly, but it's yep. just going to continue that yeah, way. Sense. All right, let's come back to the UK then. Talking about getting ugly. Um, the National Conservatives. Uh, there's been, there was a conference, wasn't there, earlier this week? Right-wing voices at this conference in London. Jacob Rees-Mogg had yeah. he was interrupted. Suella Braverman was it? He, she yeah. said something yeah. a bit, yeah. you know, um, gross. Yes, Jacob Rees-Mogg actually handled it very well. Well, <laughs> I, I guess he's had he a lot of practice. Three, yes, he has, and he had I think, <laughs> three hecklers one after the other. Yeah, this this is this um, basically. It's a group um, within the Conservative Party mm. in terms of politicians, but also others as well, a lot of uh, sort of academics and intellectuals people. This is essentially trying to relaunch conservatism, um, I suppose saying that it's no longer clear exactly what it stands for. And, and you can see why one might say that, because uh, it's because it's been in power for so long. This is the trouble of being in power for a long mm-hmm. time. Um, uh, but, of course, it is very much the staunch right wing. These are the sort of people who were um, against Rishi Sunak, and indeed are against Rishi Sunak. Yeah. So, I I think what, you've, what you're looking at here is the opening stage of a battle for the soul of the Conservative Party after an anticipated defeat at the election next time. I think that's really what we're seeing. So, in other words, they're, they're putting out their, again, sort of setting out their stalls early um, right. in order to get in there to bring down what they reckon will be the defeated Rishi Sunak and put, you know, and basically take over the party and recalibrate it along their lines. 
Right. Yeah. Um, I may be wrong, it, but that's it, what I think. Because <laughs> it, it's quite right-wing, isn't yeah. it? I mean, some of the things that they're saying are... Uh, I mean, there was one guy, I think, at this conference who kind of uh, suggested that the uh, Germans just mucked it up twice, yes. you know. Yes, it, that's it, right. It was a bit more than a, than a muck-up. Yeah, I mean, this is talking you know? about the Second World War. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yes. That's right. Oh, indeed, and you've got um, some pretty controversial figures. David Starkey was speaking there. Yeah. Um, and again causing controversy. Um, so yes, I mean, this, these are some of the big, pretty strident voices on the right um, getting together in a, and forming a new political movement rather than simply having particular mm. voices or writing books or articles or whatever. Mm. So I think, you know, you are looking at that, uh, as, that side of conservatism really getting its act together. And, uh, and presumably there'll need to be a response both within the Conservative Party from those mm. who don't want it to go down that, that path uh, and of course they'll, uh, you know, assuming Labour, you know, if Labour were to win the election they would need to sort of recognise that that's the sort of Conservative uh, opposition they might be facing. Okay, alright, well we've got a year to watch where we that have, all yeah. uh, unravels fun, and fun, goes fun. to. Fun, fun, yes. fun. Alright then, let it, let's, uh, we've got a few couple of minutes left and um, let's talk about the story that broke... Um, a couple of days ago, let's just call it that. Uh, Harry and Meghan yeah. over in New York uh, at a glittering event, um, then released a statement shortly after to say that they had been part of a, involved in a two-hour, um, whatever chase they call it, chase through, What's it through paparazzi. Near catastrophic or something? Near yeah. catastrophic, yeah. Um, obviously resonating with the memories of Princess Diana. Yeah. Talk to me. Well, I. This is a most curious story, it is. and um, it's getting more curious because we're getting people, um, witnesses saying, including you know, taxi driver, because it's a bit confusing. Of the, but they sort of went into a taxi at one point, and. and um, Saying that uh, it was, it's been somewhat exaggerated, and you know, if you have awkward. if you have the sort of chase scene that they're describing, then you know it gets picked up by cameras, <laughs> and you can't really have that sort of thing nowadays without people filming on their phones. But do we really think they're lying? Um, I think it sounds as if they have. Uh, it sounds as if there were some um, some uh, reporters, you know, trying to take photos. But you know, they're used to that. One would have thought, um, and that. <sighs> I don't know. I wasn't there. <laughs> it just sounds rather as if there's a conscious sort of trying to echo and trying to sort of put themselves into um, his his mother's famous you know, end. I mean, that uh, is yeah. quite psychotic. Yes, I'm just going to say. I, mean, I, I think if that is what they've done, it's unbelievably foolish because it's very easy to show that. Um, partic- I mean, it's particularly in a city, you know, like a, a crowded city like, like New yeah. York. You know, you can't do that sort of thing in a corner. Um, so It is interesting yeah. to think that they are now in this place that where, whenever they say anything, um, media... Uh, rips them apart, rips their story yeah. apart. The, the media seem to be absolutely a, a bit of a, a, a strong, out there yeah. hatred uh, yeah. for these two. Yes, I mean, that alone is terrifying for those two. It is. And, uh, you know, I have some I have some sympathy, particularly, I think, f- for for him. Um, uh, and, of course, the, you know, no one, no one in the media is going to particularly like him, bearing in mind the court case going on in London as well. Which is not getting any coverage, is, apart from in like well, one, one or two overtaken, newspapers, yes. which isn't um, uh, owned by the media so, group. So I sort of take the point, but the, the thing is that um, if you go to war with the media, 
you're taking on something which can do a lot, do you a lot of damage in mm. return. Mm. And uh, I'm not sure that they found the right way to um, to respond. And I don't think going to war is is the is the best you know best advice no. that they can have been, they can have received. So this this is very curious. Um, and I think if it turns out that their version of events is not supported by evidence, that I put an if in front of that, mm. then I think they would have been very foolish um, and it could it could bite them back quite badly. Quite scary. It's just, it just that alone just shows the power of the media mm. and, and how, you know, they, King Charles, yeah. uh, his mother, Queen before, always said, you know, you, the, the media, yes, they'll do your heads in. I'm paraphrasing here, darling. But, you know, you've got to keep them on side and yeah. it's, it's kind of a, a, a messed up way to live yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. and yeah. I do you feel for to, them. It's absolutely but, true. You have to um, yeah. just bite your lip and carry them with you because, uh, because if they turn against you they will bring you down yeah we are going to have to end it there my friend um thank you so much for coming in i've really enjoyed our chat hope that we get to do it again next thursday um we are very rapidly running out of town so i am going to sign off now and say wish you a very happy little friday thursday this evening right here in cambridge uh coming up after the news at six ben hewardine here and he is taking you on a rather wonderful musical journey have a fabulous evening.